Hello again and welcome to the I Believe Your Abuse podcast, where we talk all things narcissistic abuse. I'm your host, Brandy Fuller-Anderson. I am a counselor, coach, fellow survivor, author, and advocate. It's been so long. We did take a bit of a hiatus over this past year, but we've received so many requests for another episode that I wanted to buckle down and get some new episodes out. This past year has been such a crazy ride, and I know anyone that's been cooped up in close quarters with a narcissistic partner is really feeling the burn of this pandemic. Narcissists are absolutely miserable to be around in any time of great stress, and there are few worse feelings than that of being trapped, unable to escape them. So one of the only positives about spending more time at home is that more people than ever have time to listen to podcasts and read books. And hopefully, victims of narcissistic abuse are able to take this opportunity to research their partner's behaviors, study the facts of this disorder, and explore the backlash of any emotional trauma that they've been subjected to. And maybe even start taking steps towards their emotional and physical freedom from the abuse. I'm happy to be here to help. So thank you for listening and for the positive feedback and episode requests. Please do continue to send in your requests for specific topics to be discussed on the show, either by submitting a request on the website at IBelieveYourAbuse.com or by sending an email to IBelieveYourAbuse at gmail.com. When I get a lot of repeat questions on the same topic, it's usually what prompts me to want to put out a show about it. So please, if you have something that you're wondering about, if you have something that you want explored further, please send in your questions or your um, requests. You can also check out the question board on the website for some additional topics of interest. And you can submit a question right there. Before we get started, let me remind you of my regular disclaimer that during this podcast, you'll often hear me refer to the narcissist as a he. But please know, this is just for ease of telling my personal story and for consistency. But know that narcissists can be both male and female. If you have questions about what I mean when I use the word narcissist, you can go on back to episode one and give a listen. Or if you want additional information about narcissistic personality disorder itself and how this abuse begins, Go back and listen to episode two. Victims of narcissistic abuse spend weeks, months, or even years in search of information that will help them to understand what it is they've been experiencing. Some explanation of why their partners are behaving in such ways and what they might be able to do to just make it stop. Without previous knowledge of NPD, the experience of the cycle is a completely disconcerting one. And when people are doing the work and looking for solutions, they tend to land on answers that make sense to them. After all, anything different would just add to the confusion and frustration, right? And why would we want that? Because of the narcissistic behaviors often described as mood swings, many victims will be searching online for different behaviors and they'll type in, he's having these mood swings. And they'll soon come across the diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And they'll land there. I receive messages about this very thing. 
Those wondering if their partners actually have bipolar instead of MPD. Those who wonder if their diagnosed bipolar partner actually has NPD. And those who question if they can have both. So I wanted to just share my thoughts on this. How many of you first labeled your partner with an uninformed diagnosis of bipolar disorder? There's some comfort in finding this first novice diagnosis. It brings answers, gives us something to refer to, something to blame. And after extended periods of cognitive dissonance and confusions, what we want most is answers, something to refer to, something to blame. Any answer acts as that missing piece of the puzzle and makes the situation feel just a little bit better. But can you see any issues with starting off with wrong answers? Or maybe your partner already has a diagnosis. Did any of your partners see a medical professional and explain in limited detail these so-called mood swings and leave with a diagnosis of bipolar disorder? This misdiagnosis is a popular one. But why? You can easily find a hundred articles online discussing the popular comorbidity of narcissistic personality disorder and bipolar disorder. But can the two conditions actually coexist? On this episode, I'll share my clinical opinion on this very question. Bipolar disorder is probably one of the most widely talked about behavioral health issues. This doesn't make it the most understood. It seems anytime someone has a wildly inappropriate or unexpected outburst or experiences a noticeable mood swing, someone will ask, what are you, bipolar? You wouldn't expect the average person to know all the facts they need in order to diagnose somebody with bipolar disorder. But just about any licensed mental health professional is likely qualified to do so. The same cannot be said for narcissistic personality disorder. The typical mental health professional is just unlikely to be specially trained in personality disorders and more likely to misdiagnose someone with one or without one. In fact, many clinical psychologists have not received the specialized training necessary to adequately diagnose and treat personality disorders. If you suspect a personality disorder and want to feel confident in your diagnosis or treatment plan, or if you plan to attend counseling with a partner that you suspect might have a personality disorder, or are seeking a confirmation of your partner's personality disorder, it's best to seek out a clinical psychologist with advanced specialty in personality disorders. So let's talk about what it is about NPD and bipolar that get easily mixed up by the untrained or inadequately trained professional. What do we know about bipolar disorder? Well, to start, there's not just one bipolar disorder diagnosis or one way that it can present itself, but for the sake of this discussion, I'm gonna just combine any more commonly known symptoms or behaviors, since it's not super important to be clinically specific for this. Probably most of all, people who suffer 
or at least most well-known, people who suffer with bipolar disorder are often known for experiencing wildly polar mood swings. During a depressive mood, they may experience a loss of interest in activities, poor sleeping habits, verbalizations of the desire to commit suicide, hopelessness, a feeling of emptiness or that they're inferior, anger or agitation. They may feel as though others are complaining about them, calling them names, or contributing to their feelings of being inadequate. They're likely feeling and responding in ways that are pessimistic. And they might just have an all-around feeling of emptiness. Alternately, during manic episodes, they may experience elevated mood, even euphoria, delusions of grandeur, a reduced need for sleep or insomnia, faster speech, they may abuse drugs, reckless spending of money, feeling like they're invincible, have flights of ideas, practice in increasingly dangerous sexual behaviors, they may become more social, dominate conversations, or seem like the life of the party. They might be suddenly full of all these great new ideas, and even show motivation and direct effort in reaching a specific goal. Bipolar disorder usually begins around age 20. It's likely to have a genetic component. It's caused by an imbalance of neurotransmitters that send messages to the brain. It's a serious mental illness with no cure, but it can be helped with medication. In fact, without medication, many people suffering from bipolar disorder are unable to maintain in their normal daily life, and manic episodes can often lead to psychosis. Now, let's remember what we've learned about narcissistic personality disorder. NPD is a personality disorder developed as a coping mechanism in early childhood. It's usually develops in order to act as a self-esteem regulator. These coping mechanisms eventually rewire, so to speak, how the brain functions. It cannot be treated with medication. Because of the person that has NPD, because of their lack of whole object relations and object constancy, narcissists have only two ways of seeing things in the world. All good or all bad. They only see themselves and anyone else as remarkably special or completely worthless. Because they tend to live in the moment without any consideration for future consequences or any contemplation of past behaviors, their actions are often seen as impulsive and even careless. They lack emotional empathy so they're most always extremely self-centered and unable to see things from anyone else's point of view. They have developed many protective skills that help them to guard their fragile self-esteem, including devaluing of others, projection, deflection, fantasy thinking, grandiosity, blaming. They're often lacking in interpersonal communication skills and unable or unwilling to compromise. They can be controlling, inconsiderate, 
argumentative, often gaslighting their partners, making a big deal out of small disagreements, overreacting and having very sudden changes in moods that are often very disconcerting for their partners, going from loving you to hating you and back in a matter of moments. When feeling self-assured, they may be energetic, positive, motivated, create new goals and actually work towards them, be extra loving and social, command social interactions or conversations, and indulge in romanticized thinking or even completely seemingly ridiculous life planning. During periods where their ego has suffered from a slight though, they may quickly change to hateful actions. Forget about any good times or pleasant feelings toward their partner or others. Be on the defensive for reasons that often are not easily understood by their partners. Feel depressed or express what a failure they are. Have small moments of humanity that appear like remorse. May have difficulty getting out of bed, getting motivated, or may de appear depressed. They may take drastic measures to seek out the reassurance they need to repair their damaged ego, including making abrupt, foolish decisions, cheating on their partner, increased fantasy thinking, turning to drugs or alcohol, quitting a job, irresponsibly spending money or leaning on a bystander that they've found to be a good, reliable source of pity. Someone they often don't spend time with normally, but only when they're in need of this type of, of supply or support. They think on a hierarchy. They have a need to feel important. Arrogance, they could feel entitled. They often get jealous of others. And they tend to exaggerate stories or lie about their own achievements while devaluing those of someone else. They lack self-awareness and blame others for any of their shortcomings. And I know that all of you know that this is not an exhaustive list. And I know that many of you are thinking, these lists sound pretty damn similar, right? So how are the two conditions similar? Well, they aren't. They're actually completely different disorders, not even in the same mental health category. But let's talk about some of those narcissistic behaviors that may mimic some behaviors that might be present in someone with bipolar disorder. Let's talk about a depressive episode versus when a narcissist becomes depressed. If you've been with your narc long enough, you've likely seen this pathetic side of them come and go. This side of them that's so down and hopeless and withdrawn, and yet offers such a glimmer of hope to you, as it almost seems like the most humanity they've displayed. Many partners that are adjusting to the heartless and cold behaviors of their newly exposed partner can't imagine that their narc partners can feel anything other than hate and bitterness. But I assure you, they can feel all or most emotions they just do so in a non-empathetic way. Your narc may never feel sorry for you, but he will most definitely very easily feel sorry for himself. Narcissists who have run out of active supply 
can quickly turn into the empty shell that many people believe is their true self. They may have difficulty getting out of bed, complain constantly about being better off dead, wonder why life is so difficult for them and why nobody cares about them. They may withdraw completely from responsibility and appear void of any hope whatsoever. This phase is often referred to as the collapsed narcissist. So how do you coax a narcissist out of this phase? Well, it's actually very easy. Give them what they're missing. Narcissists require constant reassurance, to feel special and desired, to know they rank higher than you. And if you stroke their ego and solve their perceived life problems, then all is good in the past is forgotten. story. Toward the end of my marriage, my narc was not getting anything but negative supply from me. And negative supply, while it does provide them with supply, it will not last a narc nearly as long as positive supply. It's merely a filler as needed. It's more exhausting for the narcissist, and without the positive supply will undoubtedly lead to a collapse. By this point in our marriage, I was on to his games. He never won a fight with me. I reversed his gaslighting attempts. I called him out on his bullshit. I stopped fixing his mistakes. I deflected his projections. I pointed out everything wrong with him that he tried to blame on others. I refused to pay his bills once he blew his money irresponsibly, letting his car get repoed and our house be taken. I let everything that he enjoyed using me for go, and without it, he collapsed. He laid in bed for weeks, refusing to go to work or care for himself. I believe that he knew one of three things would happen. Either I would cave and give him what he wanted. Someone else would step in and give him what he wanted. Or he would get all kinds of sympathy once people noticed that I wasn't giving him what he wanted, any of which would bring him out of his collapse. Now, the first time this happened, I took him to the hospital and admitted him. And really, I thought for sure, this was my chance to get him a proper diagnosis. This was before I discovered that psychiatric providers in particular have no qualifications to diagnose and treat personality disorders. They treat symptoms with medication. It's what they do, and since personality disorders cannot be treated with medications, those providers tend to seek to diagnose someone with something that does have symptoms that they could treat with medications. Something they're familiar with. In this case, though, medications weren't even necessary. It didn't take but an hour for my husband to quickly soak in the attention from nurses, the reassurance that he did the right thing and was so brave for coming to the hospital, the pity surrounding his struggles. He soaked it right in and was instantly better, and the hospital became a little vacation for him. It was the life of the party at groups 
free meals were brought to him. There was no chores, no worries. He flirted with nurses. He called his family and they all felt so sorry for him. He never felt better. He never took his medications, he never needed any. He just needed this little trip to fill his supply tank right back up and he was good as new. And once he learned this little trick, this was his go-to. If ever there was a time that he lost all of his money, got caught cheating on his wife, pissed off his mother, burned bridges with friends, he just went back in the hospital and his problems seemed to disappear. He loved it. He later discovered a much easier way to get this accomplished by claiming to be an alcoholic, faking his way through 12 steps, living it up in meetings with a whole new group of friends who were super forgiving of his selfish behaviors because they attribute them to his feigned addiction. And the praise his family gives him about how proud they are of him, not to mention how many people are eager to reach out and help him or do things for him because they pity him and his struggles and are so proud of him for stepping up and trying to be better. He eats this up. And I'll point out to you that in our seven years of marriage, I can maybe think of two occasions in which he drank alcohol, both of them at weddings that we had attended. Narcissists don't survive without fuel for their ego. And they could be extremely resourceful when it comes to ensuring that they have it. Feeling depressed is a normal human reaction to depressing stimuli. If you've experienced a loss, you've felt extremely sad and this wouldn't be considered abnormal, right? This might change though if you felt this way for longer than six months or if it wasn't in response to an appropriate preceding event. When narcissists feel down and hopeless, it is due to this loss of supply, which to them can feel just as grave as what the average person may feel when losing an important person in their life. Except their loss can be found again. And once it is, their emotions regulate themselves, they stabilize. And this could take minutes, hours, or weeks, depending on the resourcefulness of the narcissist. It's in response to a moment in which they believe they've failed in some way, and they get lost in a pool of self-hating and self-pity. But if you can boost their self-esteem again, you will see this pity party vanish quite quickly because all of their moods are 100% dependent on their shaky self-esteem and need to deflect feelings of shame. And when they do snap out of it, they'll have some type of reason to fully believe everything that they had been feeling was the fault of someone else. Bipolar depressive episodes can last anywhere from two weeks to a year. Anything less than two weeks would not be considered an episode. And during these episodes, symptoms would include withdrawing from others, loss of interest in doing things, going anywhere, or even getting out of bed, not caring for one's hygiene. The person experiencing this may actually want everyone around them to disappear and leave them alone. 
Unlike the narcissist who truly desires that people reach out and figure out how to heal this damage that's been done to their fragile self-esteem, the problem is actually that others around them who should be providing them supply have disappeared. Not that they wish they would. Repeated mood swings are a notable symptom of bipolar disorder. And these mood swings are distinguishable because there's a baseline mood in the middle. Unlike narcissists, who can appear to have only the two polar opposite views of the world, love and hate, or positive and negative, happy or angry. This is due to both their lack of object constancy and their lack of whole object relations. These assumed moods can flip back and forth on the minute throughout the day, depending on whether or not their needs are being met. Those needs, of course, being the regulation of their self-esteem and avoidance of feelings of shame. Bipolar mood swings, however, can happen rarely or up to several times a year, but anything more than four cycles in a year would be considered rapid cycling. A high manic bipolar episode may last several days or for weeks at a time. Again, unlike a narcissist's matching behaviors, which exist at all times. Narcissists tend to be impulsive and therefore engage in many risky behaviors because they orient toward a pleasure-seeking mindset without the fear of any consequences. This is because they lack empathy. The world basically exists for them and them alone and not being able to do whatever they want, whenever they want, makes absolutely no sense to them. It's not like their actions can affect anyone else if no one else actually matters. While someone in a bipolar mania may be unable to see the fault in these behaviors during this time, they would understand the error of their ways during their baseline period. On the other hand, this mindset and these behaviors exist at all times with narcissists, although they may not be apparent to others at all times, since narcissists do learn to conform to an expected persona and will therefore hide many of their actions. This is why they bother to lie and sneak around despite being unable to understand why these actions would be inexcusable. Medication is helpful for someone who's experiencing a mania. While there is no medication that can change this thought process or these behaviors for a person with narcissistic personality disorder. A person experiencing mania may come across as the life of the party, even if this is not their normal style. They may dominate conversations and switch topics frequently and quickly. Narcissists also enjoy being the life of the party. Many tend to dominate most conversations, not only because they are confident in what they have to say and that what they have to say is more important than what anybody else has to say, but also because they engage in fantasy thinking. So really they have a make-believe story to tell, no matter the subject matter. And it will always top anything else being offered up. Their carefully crafted fantasy persona is important to them. And they put a lot of effort into playing that role and enjoying the supply that it brings them. If the average person spends time with someone with bipolar disorder who is currently in a manic phase, 
they are very likely to notice some abnormal behavior. Racing thoughts, lack of filter, poor judgment, and sometimes even inability to be coherent will be obvious. Alternately, narcissists do well at fitting in in any situation for many reasons. Because narcissistic behaviors do not come and go with a more normal period to judge them against. They're less likely to be detected. Also, because narcissists tend toward more superficial relationships where those around them are not particularly paying much attention to their behaviors, and because they're so good at pretending to be that person, their false persona, the, the person they've, they've built this fantasy life around, their abnormal moods and behaviors can go undetected for some time. They're usually seen as, as perky, upbeat, personable, very likable people by those superficial people who fill their audience. But eventually, anyone who becomes involved intimately or spends a great deal of time or spends time in close quarters with a narcissist will notice that something is not quite right. For those of us who've already figured this game out, the amount of time this takes can be quite frustrating since it simply fails to validate the abuse that we're experiencing over and over again and makes us doubt if what we know to be true isn't. Narcissists can appear to be spilling over with confidence, but this is a facade that they've developed as a coping mechanism to the self-hatred they actually feel. They can often be outspoken and personable, but this all serves a defensive purpose. The amount of external validation a narcissist receives determines how they feel from moment to moment because they find it difficult to regulate their own emotions, instead relying on validation from others. I'm sure you've all seen how quickly they can forget to feign care for you once you've said or done something that causes an injury to their ego how they frequently go from hot to cold, love to hate. These do not appear similar to bipolar mood swings. The shame-based moods of the narcissist should not be confused with the shame a person with bipolar depression may feel since they're likely aware of their illness. While narcissists completely lack self-awareness and their lack of empathy disallows them from actually seeing how they fit into the world around them, how their actions might be affecting those around them. Bipolar disorder can sometimes escalate into full-blown psychosis, while narcissistic personality disorder does not lead to psychosis. Although, if you're in a close relationship with a narc, You'll likely wonder to yourself on many occasions if they're experiencing psychosis. But reasons for this would be that the constant gaslighting. I mean, when you're wondering if they actually believe the things that are coming out of their mouth, they may appear to be completely distanced from reality at times. But this is most likely just the byproduct of their lack of whole object relations, which causes their inability to see people or the world in healthy, realistic ways or their lack of object constancy, which is why they may share a fun-loving moment with you today and tomorrow 
show nothing but contempt for you and have no recollection of sharing that moment with you. It's important to remember that the behaviors of narcissists are not treatable with medications like those of someone with bipolar disorder. Meaning, these are the behaviors you are accepting should you decide to stay with your narc partner. They are also extremely dangerous behaviors. A type of emotional abuse which will lead to cognitive dissonance and eventually a mental trauma that will take years to heal from. Depressive episodes experienced by someone with bipolar disorder can often lead to suicidal ideations. While there's no way for there to be any accurate data regarding this, I would venture to say that while some narcissists may speak threats of suicide, they are, for the most part, attempts to manipulate the situation to get what they want. Guilt trip you for skipping over the needs that they expected you would meet or to simply get attention. Many, many things they say and do are simply ploys to manipulate a situation for their own gain. Many of the bipolar behaviors that may sound similar to a narcissist behaviors can be differentiated in one simple way. They disappear at the end of a polar cycle and the person returns to normal, a baseline mood. All of the self-preserving coping mechanisms of the narcissist are there at all times and in all situations. While they may have the self-control to limit certain behaviors at certain times, those times are short-lived. And once you have seen the facade come crashing down, they will find it harder and harder to hold it up in front of you. If you were in this abusive cycle already, you know what it's like to so badly want to believe that they are changing each and every time, only to feel foolish once again each time those despicable actions or words get thrown at you again. As time goes on, these glimpses of humanity that you see peeking through will become shorter and shorter, while those harsh, cold and hurtful moods will become longer and more and more dangerous. So do I think the two conditions can occur simultaneously? While I find it highly unlikely, I will say, of course, anything is possible. But even if they could, outwardly, it would be so drastically different from the typically expected symptomology of either disorder that it likely would not be properly identified anyway and surely almost always mistakenly diagnosed as something entirely different. So why is it so important to know the difference and have a correct diagnosis? When I first started noticing something was off with my husband, I briefly considered bipolar disorder as the culprit. And this was detrimental for many reasons. It led me to a false hope that there would be a way to treat these sides of him that I couldn't stand. A way to make those sides disappear. 
It made me think that I owed it to him to be understanding, since the way he was treating me must be out of his control. I thought that if I just hung in there long enough, it would all work itself out. Not only that, but it gave me another layer of guilt over my considerations of leaving. I mean, I wouldn't leave my husband because he was sick with cancer, right? So it would be wrong to leave him while he's sick and in need of treatment. All of these factors could, could have had me hanging on, enduring this abuse for many more years, wasting time, effort, money on medications and therapies that would not work, and wasting quality years of my life, years that I could have been searching for the right person who was actually right for me and that would treat me right, waiting for a treatment that was just not coming. And it isn't coming. No matter how long you wait, no matter how much you alter your own behaviors, forego your own beliefs, sacrifice your own needs, not even if you render yourself mute and dispense 20s from your mouth like an ATM, those brighter days are not coming. If you don't love yourself enough to walk away, then that is what you need to be working on until the day that you are. Thank you for tuning in today. Everybody remember to continue to tell your story and that I believe you.